Section 10 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 2, Great Navigators of the 18th Century, by Jules Verne. First Part, Chapter 2, Part 3. Captain Cook's Predecessors, 3C. The lands which the French now encountered were no other than St. Esprit, Malicolo, and St. Bartholomew, and the islets belonging to the latter. Although he was perfectly aware that these islands were identical with the Tierra del Espiritu Santo of Quiros, Bougainville could not refrain from bestowing a new name upon them, and called them the Archipelago de Grandes Cyclades, to which, however, the name of New Hebrides has been given in preference. I readily believed, he says, quote, that it was its extreme southern point, which Ragavine saw under the eleventh parallel, and which he named Tienhoven and Groningue. But when we arrived there, everything led us to believe that we were in the southern land of Espiritu Santo. Every appearance seemed to coincide with Quiros's narrative, and the discoveries we made every day encouraged us in our search it is singular that precisely in the same latitude and longitude as that which quiros gives to his st philip and st james's bays upon a shore which at first sight appeared like a continent we found a passage equal in size to that which he gives to the opening of his bays did the spanish navigator see badly or did he wish to hide his discoveries had geographers merely guessed in making the tierra del espiritu santo identical with new guinea to ascertain the truth we must follow the same parallel for over three hundred fifty leagues i resolved upon doing so although the state and quantity of our provisions warned us to seek a european settlement as soon as possible it will be seen that we narrowly escaped being the victims of our own persistence whilst bougainville was in these latitudes certain business matters required his presence on board the etoile and he there found out a singular fact which had already been largely discussed by his crew monsieur de commerson had a servant named barre indefatigable intelligent and already an experienced botanist barre had been seen taking an active part in the herborizing excursions carrying boxes provisions the weapons and books of plants with endurance which obtained from the botanist the nickname of his beast of burden for some time past barre had been supposed to be a woman his smooth face the tone of his voice his reserve and certain other signs appeared to justify the supposition when on arriving at tahiti suspicions were changed into certainty monsieur de commerson landed to botanize and according to custom barre followed him with the boxes when he was surrounded by natives who exclaiming that it was a woman were disposed to verify their opinion a midshipman, Monsieur Beaumont, had the greatest trouble in rescuing her from the natives and escorting her back to the ship. When Bougainville visited the Etoile, he received Barre's confession. In tears, the assistant botanist confessed her sex and excused herself for having deceived her master by presenting herself in man's clothes at the very moment of embarkation. Having no family and having been ruined by a lawsuit, this girl had donned man's clothes to ensure respect. She was aware, before she embarked, that she was going on a voyage round the world, 
and the prospect, far from frightening her, only confirmed her in her resolution. Quote, she will be the first woman who has been round the world, says Bougainville, and I must do her the justice to admit that she has conducted herself with the most scrupulous discretion. She is neither ugly nor pretty, and at most is only twenty-six or twenty-seven years old. It must be admitted that had the two vessels suffered shipwreck upon a desert island, it would have been a singular experience for Barre. The expedition lost sight of land on the twenty-ninth of May. The route was directed westward. On the fourth of June, a very dangerous rock, so slightly above water that at two leagues distant it was not visible from the lookout, was discovered in latitude fifteen degrees fifty minutes and one hundred forty-eight degrees ten minutes longitude. The constant recurrence of breakers, trunks of trees in large quantities, fruits and sea-rack, and the smoothness of the sea, all indicated the neighborhood of extensive land to the southeast. It was New Holland. Bougainville determined to leave these dangerous latitudes, where he was likely to meet with nothing but barren lands, and a sea strewn with rocks and full of shallows. There were other urgent reasons for changing the route, provisions were getting low, the salt meat was so tainted that the rats caught on board were eaten in preference. Bread enough for two months, and vegetables for forty days alone remained. All clamored for a return to the north. Unfortunately the south winds had ceased, and when they recommenced they brought the expedition within an inch of destruction. On the 10th of June land was seen to the north, it was the bottom of the Gulf of the Louisiade, which had received the name of Cul-de-Sac de l'Orangerie. The country was magnificent. On the seashore, a low land covered with trees and shrubs, the balmy odors of which reached the ships, rose like an amphitheater towards the mountains, whose summits were lost in the skies. However, it was impossible to visit this rich and fertile country, but on the other hand desirable to find to the east a passage to the south of new guinea which by way of the gulf of carpentaria would have led direct to the moluccas did such a passage exist nothing was more problematic for the notion was that land had been seen extending far to the westward it was needful to hurry as fast as possible from the gulf where the ships had so incautiously involved themselves but there is a wide difference between a wish and its fulfillment. The two vessels strove in vain, up to the 21st of June, to transport themselves to the west, from this coast, which was so full of rocks and breakers, and upon which the wind and currents bade fair to swallow them up. The fog and rain continued so closely with them, that the frigate could only proceed in company with the Etoile by a constant firing of guns. When the wind changed, they profited by it, and immediately proceeded to the open sea, but it soon veered again, and continued east-south-east, and thus they speedily lost the ground they had gained. During this terrible cruise, the rations of bread and vegetables were obliged to be reduced, consumption of old leather was threatened with severe punishment, and the last goat on board was sacrificed. It is difficult for the reader, tranquilly sitting in his chimney-corner, to imagine the anxiety of a voyage in these unknown seas, threatened with the unexpected appearance of rocks and breakers, with contrary winds, unknown currents, and a fog which concealed all dangers. Cape Deliverance was only rounded on the 26th. It was now possible to start for the north-northeast. 
Two days later, when they had made about sixty leagues northward, some islands were perceived ahead. Bougainville imagined they were part of the Louisiade group, but they are more generally accepted as belonging to the Solomon Archipelago, which Carteret, who saw them the preceding year, as little imagined that he had reached as the French navigator. Several pirogues speedily surrounded the two ships. They were manned by natives, blacker than Africans, with long curling red hair. Armed with javelins, they uttered shrill cries and showed dispositions far from peaceful. It was useless to attempt to reach them. The surge broke violently, and the coast was so narrow that it scarcely seemed as if there were one at all. Surrounded on all sides by islands, and in a thick fog, Bougainville steered by instinct in a passage only four or five leagues in width, and with a sea so rough that the Etoile was forced to close her hatchways. Upon the eastern coast a pretty bay was perceived, which promised good anchorage. Boats were told off to sound it. Whilst they were thus engaged, ten or more pirogues, upon which some hundred and fifty men armed with bucklers, lances, and bows, were embarked, advanced against them. The pirogues divided into two parties to surround the French boats. As soon as they were within sufficient reach, the natives showered a storm of arrows and javelins upon the boats. The first discharge failed to stop them. A second was necessary to disperse them. Two pirogues, the crews of which had jumped into the sea, were captured. Of great length and well made, these boats were decorated in front with a man's head carved, the eyes of which were formed of mother-of-pearl, the ears of tortoise-shell, and the lips painted red. The water in which this combat took place was called the Warrior River, and the island received the name of Chasul in honor of the French minister of Marine. On leaving this strait a new land was discovered, Bougainville Island, the southern extremity of which, called Laverty Cape, appears to join Bouca Island. The latter, which Carteret had seen the preceding year, and which he named Winchelsea, appeared densely populated, if the cabins which abounded were any criterion. The inhabitants, whom Bougainville classifies as Negroes, probably to distinguish them from the Polynesians and Malays, were Popwins, of the same race as the inhabitants of New Guinea. Their short curly hair was painted red, and the betel-nut, which they perpetually chewed, had communicated the same color to their teeth. The coast, with its coconut and other trees, promised plentiful refreshments, but contrary winds and currents quickly drew the ships away. On the 6th of July, Bougainville cast anchor on the southern coast of New Ireland, which had been discovered by Scoton, in Port Praslin, at the very point where Carteret had stopped. We sent our casks on shore, says the narrative, quote, and began to collect water and food, and commence washing, all of which was most necessary. The disembarkation was splendid, upon fine sand, with neither rock nor wave. Four streams flowed into the harbour in a space measuring four hundred paces. We selected three according to custom, one to supply water for the La Badeuse, one for the Etoile, and one for washing purposes. Wood was plentiful on the shore, and there were various kinds of it, all good for burning, and several first-rate for carpentry, joinery, and even toy-making. The two vessels were in hearing of each other and close to the shore. Again this part and its neighborhood to a great distance were uninhabited, 
a fact which secured us precious peace and liberty. We could not have hoped for a surer anchorage, or a more convenient spot for water, wood, or the various repairs needed by the vessels. We were able to send the sufferers from scurvy to range the woods, but with all these advantages the port had a few inconveniences. In spite of active search, neither coconut trees nor bananas were to be found, nor any of the resources which either by consent or by force could have been gained in an inhabited country. Fish was not abundant, and we could expect only safety and strictly necessary things. There was every fear that the sick would not re-establish their health. We had indeed no serious cases, but several were infected, and no improvement took place, and their malady could not have increased more rapidly." They had been only a few days in port, when a sailor found a leaden plate, upon which was an inscription in English. It was easy to guess that they had found the very spot where Carteret had made a stay the preceding year. The resources offered by this country to sportsmen were mediocre in the extreme. They did indeed catch sight of a few boars or wild pigs, but it was impossible to hit them. To make up for this, they shot most beautiful pigeons, the bodies and necks of grey-white, and of golden-green plumage, turtle-doves, paroquets, crested birds, and a species of crow whose cry was so like the baying of a dog as to be mistaken for it. The trees were large and magnificent, amongst them the beetle, the areca, and the pepper-tree. Malignant reptiles swarm in these marshy lands, and in the ancient forests, Serpents, scorpions, and other venomous reptiles abounded. Unfortunately, they were not only to be found on land. A sailor in search of marteau, a very rare kind of bivalve mussel, was stung by a serpent. The fearful suffering and violent convulsions which followed only subsided at the expiration of five or six hours, and at last the theriac which was administered for him after the bite effected a cure. This accident was a sad damper to the conchological enthusiasm. Upon the 22nd, after a severe storm, the ships were sensible of several slight earthquakes, the sea rose and fell several times in succession, which greatly alarmed the sailors who were occupied in fishing. In spite of the rain and ceaseless storms which continued daily, a detachment started to search the interior for bourbon palms, palm trees, and turtle doves. They expected to find wonders, but returned oftenest empty-handed and with the one result of being wet to the skin. A natural curiosity at some distance from the anchorage, a thousand times more beautiful than the wonders invented for the ornament of kingly palaces, attracted numberless visitors who could never tire of admiring it. It was a waterfall, too beautiful for a description." to form any idea of its beauty it would be necessary to reproduce by the brush the sparkling gleam of the spray lit up by the rays of the sun the vaporous shade of the tropical trees which dipped their branches into the water and the fantastic display of light over a magnificent country not yet spoiled by the hand of men as soon as the weather changed the ships left port praslin to follow the coast of new guinea until the third of august the Etoile was attacked by hundreds of pirogues, and forced to return the stones and arrows that assailed her by a few gunshots, which put the assailants to flight. On the 4th, the islands named Matthias and Stormy by Dampier were sighted. 
Three days later, Anchorite Island was recognized, so called because a number of pirogues occupied in fishing took no notice of the Etoile and Baudus, disdaining to enter into relations with the strangers. After passing a series of islets half under water, upon which the vessels nearly struck, and which were named the Echequiers by Bougainville, the coast of New Guinea appeared. Steep and mountainous, it ran west-northwest. On the twelfth a large bay was discovered, but the currents, which so far had been unfavorable, were equally so in carrying the boats far from it. It was visible at a distance of twenty leagues from two gigantic mountains, Cyclops and Bougainville. The Aramoa Islands, the largest of which is only four miles in length, were next seen, but the bad weather and the currents forced the two vessels to remain in the open sea and relinquish all exploration. It was necessary, however, to maintain a close watch in order to avoid missing the outlet into the Indian Ocean. Miss Pulu and Waigiu, the last at the extreme north of New Guinea, were passed in succession. The Canal des Francais, the outlet for ships from this mass of little islands and rocks, was passed without mishap. From thence, Bougainville penetrated to the Molucca archipelago, where he reckoned upon finding the fresh provisions requisite for the forty-five sufferers from scurvy on board. In absolute ignorance of the events which had occurred in Europe since he left it, Bougainville could not run the risk of visiting a colony in which he was not the strongest power. The small Dutch establishment, Boten or Buru Island, suited him perfectly, all the more that provisions were easily obtained there. The crew received orders to enter the Gulf of Kajeti with the greatest delight. No one on board had escaped scurvy, and half the crew, Bougainville says, were quite unfit for duty. Quote, the victuals remaining to us were so tainted and ill-smelling that the worst moments of our sad days were those when we were obliged to partake of such disgusting and unwholesome viands. The charms of Boten Island were enhanced by our wretched situation. About midnight a delicious odor, emanating from the aromatic plants with which the Molucca Islands are covered, had been wafted several leagues out to sea, and was hailed by us as a forerunner of the end of our woes. The appearance of the moderately sized town, situated below the gulf, with vessels at anchor, and cattle grazing in the pastures that surrounded us, caused pleasure in which I participated, but which I cannot describe." Scarcely had the Baudus and the Etoile cast anchor, than the resident governor sent two soldiers to inquire of the French captain what reason he could assign for stopping at this place, when he must be aware that entrance was permitted to the ships of the India Company only. Bougainville immediately sent an officer to explain that hunger and sickness forced him to enter the first port which presented itself in his route. Also, that he would leave Boten as soon as he had received the aid of which he had urgent need. The resident at once sent him the order of the governor of Amboyna, which expressly forbade his receiving any strange ship in his harbour, and begged Bougainville to make a written declaration of the reason for his putting into port, in order that he might prove to his superior that he had not infringed his orders except under paramount necessity. As soon as Bougainville had signed a certificate to this effect, cordiality was established with the Dutch. The resident entertained the officers at his own table, and a contract was concluded for provisions and fresh meat. 
bread gave place to rice, the usual food of the Dutch, and fresh vegetables, which were not usually cultivated in the island, were provided for the crews by the resident, who obtained them from the company's gardens. It would have been desirable for the re-establishment of the health of the crew, that the stay at this port could have been prolonged, but the end of the monsoon warned Bougainville to set out for Batavia. The captain left Boughton on the 7th of September, convinced that navigation in the Maluka archipelago was not so difficult as it suited the Dutch to affirm. As for trusting to French charts, they were of no use, being more qualified to mislead vessels than to guide them. Bougainville therefore directed his courts through the Straits of Button and Salayer, a route which, though commonly used by the Dutch, is but little known to other nations. The narrative therefore carefully describes, with mention of every cape, the course he took. We will not dwell upon this part of the voyage, although it is very instructive, and on that account interesting to seafaring men. On the 28th of September, ten months and a half after leaving Montevideo, the Etoile and the Baudus arrived at Batavia, one of the finest colonies in the world. After touching at the Isle of France, the Cape of Good Hope, and Ascension Island, near which he met Carteret, Bougainville entered St. Malo on the 16th of February, 1769, having lost only seven men, in the two years and four months which had elapsed since he left Nantes. The remaining particulars of the career of this fortunate navigator do not concern our purpose, and may be dismissed briefly. He took part in the American War, and in 1781 participated in an honorable combat before Port Royal off Martinique. Made chief of the fleet in 1780, he, ten years later, received a commission to re-establish order in the mutinous fleet of Monsieur d'Albert de Rion. Created vice-admiral in 1792, he did not think it right to accept a high rank, which was, to use his own words, quote, a title without duties, end quote. Nominated first to the Bureau of Longitudes, and then to the Institute, raised to the rank of senator, created a count by Napoleon I, Bougainville died full of years and honors on the 31st of August, 1811. Bougainville acquired popularity as the first Frenchman who accomplished a voyage round the world. Though the merit of discovering and reconnoitering, if not of exploring, many groups of islands little known and quite neglected before his time, has been ascribed to him, he owes his reputation rather to the charm and easy animation of his narrative than to his labors. If he is better known than any other French naval officers, his competitors, it is not so much because he accomplished more than they, as because his style of narrating his adventures charmed his contemporaries. As for Guyot Duclos, his secondary share in the enterprise and his plebeian rank excluded him from reward. He was afterwards given the cross of St. Louis, but he earned the title by his rescue of the Belle Poule, Although he was born in 1722, and had been in the navy since the year 1734, he was still only lieutenant in 1791. A succession of ministers of new views was needed to obtain the rank of ship-captain for him, a tardy recompense of long and signal services. Guyot Duclos died at St. Servan on the 10th March, 1794. End of section 10